Welcome to the Sword on the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. I'm Tom Askell. And we are here in the flesh with Sir Chocolate Knox. Hey! Sir David Shannon. Yes, sir. Sir Man from Moscow. <laughs> sir Cross Politic. That's right. You actually are the mastermind behind Cross Politic. Not really. I know it's true. It's not true. It is true. That's maybe what you think, but Gabe is going to have a fit. Here's that. That's true. Gabe's actually the mastermind behind cross politics. Okay. Yeah. So how's Toby fit into that? Um, if you ask Gabe, Toby was a sucker for stuff like that. He just so got he just hooked. said, yeah. So yeah, I told you a story, right? Haven't told you guys a story before? I don't think so. So we cross politics started because Gabe was like, man, I want to do a podcast. I want to do a podcast, but I'm not that good at interviewing. So let me get some other guy. So he went to Toby and Toby's like, sure. According to Gabe's story, Toby's like, sure, I'm a sucker for stuff like this. So he jumped in. And then all of a sudden, he comes up that uh, they needed one more person. They couldn't do it. They needed some sort of tech guy. He asked me, and I said, no, right away, no. He's like, okay, that was pretty serious. So then they call me into the pastor's office for the second time. Now, from where I come from, you go into the pastor's office, it gets real at that <laughs> point. It's like, okay, Jesus, what you want me to do? Because <laughs> obviously, this is your will, you know. And so they sit down and start talking. I kind of knew they were going to do this. And we talked for about an hour uh, before they ever asked anything. And I was actually testing at the time. Too. I was like, if we can have this kind of conversation just with us hanging out, you know, maybe we could have a show. And then they said, hey, would you mind helping us out? Mm, like, yeah. Let me talk to my wife. And that's, so. the rest was so history. Was that before or after the Chocolate Factory was founded? That was after the Chocolate Factory was founded. How did the Chocolate Factory come into being? Um, I was in Georgia working on uh, a, a television show. And I saw a filmmaker who was working with Kirk Cameron, and I was like, man, if, if I could just make movies like he does. You know, some people can show you their work and make it look like that you could achieve this, you know, and they're just good at what they do. And Darren Doan was one of those guys, and I saw his work, and I was like, man, I want to. So I went out there and worked with him for 10 days for a boot camp, filmmaking boot camp. And he's like, you need to start your own company. Uh, so you can call it the Chocolate Factory. And I was like, <laughs> it was done. I'm in. <laughs> so we, we uh, worked with you on By What Standard. Yeah. And it was wonderful. And uh, I remember coming out of that film, uh, we, we watched the premiere of it here at Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. And we got done. And then we had a little uh, Q&A where you were on the stage with me and Tom. Have we burnt that footage yet? I don't know. I, I think it's, I, I hope it's on there because, <laughs> I mean, it was really good. I know that when Tom and I got done, I, we're just this overwhelming feeling of gratitude for the film. And then we got up and they, I think they asked you, Tom, you know, how do you feel about it? And, and Knox was kind of in the spirit of, you know, he had his, he had his stones and he had his sling and he was ready to go slay some giants. He was ready. They were singing. He was singing songs. War horn was going off. <laughs> and then this, this, maybe this kingly mode, this priestly thing came out and you were like, I'm just so, I think he said, we need to repent. I need to repent. How did we get here to where this kind of ideology was really coming in upon the church? Like we're supposed to be the watchman on the wall. And we were the first to start saying something was, we were missing something here. And kind of out of that, we began to talk. Tom had his medical episode. And even in the hospital, we were talking about doing another project called Wield the Sword, where we would say, we want to actually take the word of God and think about the way that it applies, the way that we are to wield that word 
in the world that we live in, and especially because we see this ideology starting to wield its sword. Okay, let's make sure that we're on the ground here wielding the sword ourselves. So, Tom, you just want to speak to what you were sensing that night and then how you've been communicating that about just the desire to change a course, to agree with God about something, some kind of repentance so that we would wield the sword? Yeah, well, I think it uh, has dawned on me increasingly over the last year or so, particularly the last seven or eight months, that uh, despite all of our affirmations of inerrancy and all of the confessions of faith that we marshal out and say, oh, look, our people have signed all these confessions of faith, when it comes down to just basic Christian living, basic church life, uh, very often we are much better on paper than we are in reality. Mm. So that there are just some fundamental essentials of the Christian life that everybody assumes uh, ethics, you know, we, we believe that because we have uh, a good goal in mind that the ends justifies being a little bit slipshod in the means. So we can try to accomplish a godly thing in ungodly ways or in ways that, you know, maybe it's not blatantly blasphemous, but it just fudges at the edges. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, God understands. Are we, you know, why, why would you be concern, concerned about this? And I see this happening just across the board. I mean, I've guilty in my own life as we started to try to evaluate that and and uh, determine that these battles that God has uh, placed in front of us that we have to fight in our generation every generation has them and you don't go looking for them they come to you but if we're going to be faithful to the word then we are going to be in conflict that is inevitable because there are enemies to the Christian enemies to the work of God in the world and so if you're going to stand for the work of God and stand faithful in his word you're going to confront those enemies and the, the way we confront them matters. Mm-hmm. You can't pick up their tools that they might feel justified in using against you and use against them. Mm-hmm. We have tools. We have the word of God that, we, that should govern not only our goals, but the means whereby we pursue those goals. Yeah, church curmudgeon, uh, Twitter. Church, you know, y'all yeah, call it church yeah. curmudgeon. He recently tweeted, you know, Baptist church, a place where you'll go and you're more likely to hear a sermon about the Bible than a sermon from the Bible. (laughs) That was so indicting, you know, and I know that this can be offensive um, to a lot of our brothers out there. And I don't, I don't want it to be unnecessarily offensive, the the right kind of offensive and trying to, and I I do believe we're trying to communicate something through wield the sword that people might not inherently grasp. It's going to take some time to chart it out and try to explain what's going on here. I remember we were at the SBC in Birmingham shooting some footage for by what standard one super late night, it's like one in the morning, we're sitting in your car talking and tired, you know, and you're like, this was your first, this was your first experience of Southern Baptist convention. I loved it. Which it, was is, great. it is, it's like, you know, you love it at the same time. It's like, Oh my goodness, this is crazy. Um, and I remember you saying, you guys, you said, you guys talk about the inerrant Bible, like a lot. It's like, we love that Bible. I mean, that Bible is an errant. It's yeah. sharp. And you said, you know, it's like being in a family where there's this really sharp sword on, uh, encased in glass. It's like lit up and everything. It's on the mantle. Everybody's like, yeah, I mean, we love that thing. He's like, 
you might actually be calling it a, a nice uh, like AR-15 or something. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> like, yeah. but nobody takes down the gun and and, and shoots it. Like, well, you know. And yeah. he said, some of what you're doing of the founders is you you've actually taken the gun and you're like, foul, 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 shooting. It's like, oh, that's what it feels like yeah. to actually wield the sword. So I'd love to hear your your deeper thoughts on that or more thoughts on that. Yeah, it, it was like having that granddaddy's weapon. It's like, man, granddaddy used to wield that thing. Man, look, and and all that success is the house that we're living in. All granddaddy's hard work, you know, learning about some of the Southern Baptist history, the conservative resurgence, uh, you know, Rod Martin was talking about that when I interviewed him and then hearing it from you guys and seeing how God has blessed a, a, a denomination to come back from liberalism. It's like, wow. And it's like, it's some of that's been forgotten about what the fight was, how it was won. And there's a new, a bunch of new guys that are standing on the shoulders of those victories and don't know that that weapon that won that is a very thing that they carry around with and they tote with them. And it was just interesting seeing that a lot of things, like you said, were assumed. And, and praise God that the culture of that is there. But we're getting to the place now where, man, we, gonna, we have to put some things down because they're encroaching in upon us and no one knows how to do it. But everybody sees something's going on, something's happening. They don't know how to uh, properly, uh, objectively view it. Um, because of the way that things have creeped in. So now we have a lens from secularism that tells us how to view things, you know. And, and so it was just interesting watching everything. And I remember thinking, like, man, how in the world do we communicate um, where we're at right now? Because, I mean, the film was already two hours long. And it was like, well, mm-hmm. so there were some things that I felt like we had to assume. We had to, okay, there's the pillars we can stand on. And everybody's going to agree with these pillars. But there's going to have to be something else after this where we have to pull off the moss from these pillars and spray them down and show that this is what we're standing on. This is what those pillars are. If, you know, when you say one way I would communicate the problem is we have become theoretical. So it's, and it applies to a number of things. So we're thea- theoretical inerrantists. We're, we're even theoretical believers in the sufficiency of scripture, which makes it really dangerous because some people say, well, now the issue is about sufficiency is not about inerrancy. And that's true, but it's not just about being a theoretical, um, sufficient, uh, sufficient holder to so doctrine or uh, holder of sufficiency as a doctrine. Um, so we're theoretical confessionalist right now in the SBC. We know that we have churches that are not in step with the Baptist faith and message 2000. And I'll talk to people at the highest levels of leadership in the SBC that know that churches are not in step with the Baptist faith of message yeah. 2000. And, and when asking, Hey, would you support kind of bringing this up? And we have a mechanism for removing churches. We've removed churches in the past. Well, no, we can't, you know, we, we, we can't, it's just like, it's theoretical and it's, it's, gets scary when you start to see, I think it's theoretical on a lot of, a lot of levels. I think our preaching is theoretical. I think our pastors are actually not applying the word of God. So it's like, we're, we kind of come into this little, uh, freedom of worship moment and we apply the word we talk about the ideas of the bible mm-hmm. but it's not getting down there into their lives we're we're theoretical when it comes to our understanding of vocation so it's like you know the, the faith is kind of up here and then all of our practices down here there's still this division of the sacred and the secular and so what happens is whatever secular humanism's doing well that's what we're doing uh, when it comes to the way i work well i just kind of work like a like a secular humanist the way i do ethics you know, kind of do that. Um, the way I understand manhood and womanhood, right. just just whatever kind of the world's doing. Aesthetics, you know, whatever the world's doing. And so the faith is up here. We got a lot of theory. 
and, but it's, it's detached from our practice um, along all of these lines. Economics, we're going to be dealing with that as well. Same yeah. thing. We got a theory, uh, you know, but it, it's not getting down there on the ground. Yeah, but what I thought was what's been encouraging about watching the film come out and watch people engage the film, what's been encouraging is those people who are who have been theoretical say, oh, yeah, what does the Bible say about that? I think there's a large group of people out there that if you actually started asking the questions about, like, how do you handle money? Where does it go? What does the Bible say about that? They start becoming very practical. There's, there's probably some of that secularism that's in there, but then they start saying, well, I'm a Christian. And the mindset said, well, I do need to be thinking about this. I think they're really open to, to changing how they're operating if they only knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we have a, a stronghold with them to win them. I mean, Rob Martin, when we were doing his interview um, for By What Standard, he said something in there that really changed me. He's like, we need to win our brothers. It's our responsibility to win them over. And, and I started saying, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, we can make a case. We have all the facts on our side. we got the Bible on our side. And if we approach it as from brothers who just need to be discipled, I think that we can make the case as a large swath of Christians in, inside the SBC. I think they would say, yeah, I think you're right about that. Like, I do want to be Bible believing. Like, I do want to hold to what the Bible says about this. But it just hasn't been practiced enough so that they know how to wield it. <laughs> yeah, they do want to do that. I think there's certain doctrines that have been neglected. And Tom, I mean, you've been Southern Baptist for a long time. We talked a little bit about this. It's like, it's almost like just something needs to be said and unlocked because there, there's a I think there are a lot of people maybe in the upper echelons that have operated pragmatically for a really long time and they don't want to do this. But I think there's a whole swath of people that are eager to do it when they make some connections between certain doctrines. Like, How how does the doctrine of creation and the doctrine of the lordship of Christ, Tom, relate to this conversation? Those are two, at least, that come to my mind. Maybe some other doctrines that have maybe been neglected or just not fully taught that have resulted in the situation we're in. Yeah, well, I do think that uh, we all give lip service to, you know, this is God's world, and we believe that. But, I mean, it's a profound statement to say, in the beginning, God created. Because that means that everything came from God, for God, that our lives are a part of what he has done and is doing, and that we cannot live well or think rightly about ourselves or this world or God himself without framing our life and reality in that fundamental revelation. And so just the, that, that thought in and of itself, that there's a God in heaven, and then everything else we have had revealed to us uh, from that about his providential rule in the world, about mm. his purposes in the world, that we are here for him, and that there is a day of judgment coming when we will all stand before him, that he sent his son into the world to redeem sinners, and there's no other way to get right with God, no other way to be justified, no other way to be reconciled to God apart from the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Christ is Lord. So he's Lord over everything. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? I mean, that's a sober thought. You you look at what the Bible says and the revelation of God in Jesus Christ and the commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so if you've become accustomed to living in lawless ways in how you think and how you talk, how you treat people, how you make judgments. And it just feels right. And maybe you're living in an echo chamber where everybody says amen to you Mm -hmm. in those faulty ways of reasoning, thinking, and judging. And you just say, yeah, but Jesus is Lord. And yeah, we believe the Bible. Then you can be led down a wrong path a long way while being applauded and while, while being elevated even to uh, 
positions of great influence and respect in the evangelical world, and yet at a very fundamental uh, basis be missing the, the simplicity of Jesus says this. The word of God says this, uh, you are not to bear false witness against your neighbor. And if you do, you're violating the commandments of God. But I don't, I don't think there's much fear of God uh, among evangelical Christians today. Mm-hmm. I, 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 again, I'm, I don't want to sound like I've got it all together and figured it all out. These are things that have dawned on me in my own life as I've tried to evaluate. How did we get into this mess? Well, if we fear God, if we tremble at his word, then we're not going to just pop off because I've got a narrative in my mind and I just have to somehow feed that narrative. So I will take anything that I want to and contort it in order to feed and fit my narrative because I think my narrative's good and better mm-hmm. than yours. I, I won't do that. I'm going to submit my thinking, my narrative, my goals, my plans to the scripture and try to be scrutinized by that and uh, another real danger that I, I see today is a hesitancy or a fear of repenting yeah. and acknowledging that you're wrong. I've told this story recently uh, more than once, but over 40 years ago when I was a student at Southwestern Seminary, Russ Bush was my philosophy professor. And I remember I had had the opportunity to, Cecil Sherman had come to, to lecture at the seminary. Cecil Sherman was one of the leaders of the moderate group that was standing against the conservative resurgence. And so uh, Dr. Sherman granted me a, a, a meeting. We, we wound up sitting in the student center for about two hours uh, talking, and I, I came away so impressed with him. He was an honest man. He said, we need boundaries, but not at inerrancy. So I don't think you ought to draw the line there, and I believe people can say the Bible has mistakes in it because, of course, it does, and we can still fellowship. And I just, I thanked him. I said, if everybody was as honest as you are, this controversy would be over in about six months. So after that, I'm walking across the parking lot with Dr. Bush, and I'm t- telling him that story. And I said, why can't we just get people in the room? We get, get the guys, the principal players in the room, and let them sort out what they believe, what they agree on, what they disagree on, and where the boundaries ought to be for fellowship. And uh, he said something to me that stuck with me. He, he said, Tom, you'll never get scholars or Christian leaders at this level to admit they're wrong unless you give them a way to do so while saving face. And I remember asking him, I said, that is, that, are we talking about Christians here? Christians have to do this? And, you know, I was young and naive and, and idealistic. I get all that. But that has been demonstrated to me time and again. Mm-hmm. It seems like that, that there, there's a, a level or a way of thinking where you feel like you've got to protect yourself and you can't admit, you know what? What I said was stupid. It was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I sinned. Would you forgive me? It's as if we don't have a gospel. I mean, the gospel sets us free. We don't, I don't have to pretend to be something. I don't have to, to try to make myself out to be something or impress people. I have a Savior. And when I see sin in my life or it's pointed out to me, I, I can repent because Jesus has died for that sin. And, and my identity, my welfare is not bound up in people thinking that I'm better than I actually am. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but the question is, will my Twitter followers who justify me forgive me? Yeah, right. and I, I, I don't care. <laughs> exactly. That really you're is right. the problem, and especially in the Southern Baptist world, you know, we have we have this cultural problem. So you have a culture problem, yeah, and and culture is harder to, you know, it's harder to identify. You know, it's, if you have a doctrinal, oh, well, here you are in writing, you said this, confession says this. There's a, there's a level of precision to it, but doctrine gives 
birth to culture. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of this 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 dogma externalized, and now there's this there's this this way of operating. Uh, and we've ta- you know people have talked about the eleventh commandment. I mean, what is the eleventh commandment <laughs> yeah. other than what you just detailed? That has evidently been around. It's not like it's a new thing. That's what was scary to me is we got going through by what standard, and I realized this didn't happen over the last two years. No, right. no, right. no, 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 no. Right. We, we, there's something that's deeper about the way that we've been operating and that tendency to, you know, my ultimate goal becomes climbing the ladder and having more influence and you know, having a bigger voice. And, and then, well, I'm, I'm not going to repent. I mean, that's, that's the way you get knocked down the totem pole and that's not <laughs> right, the goal. Right. You know, and I wouldn't even have that big a problem with the 11th commandment if the first 10 commandments were taken seriously. <laughs> You can clip that. Hands can clip that. That's going to go out on Facebook. No, well, I mean, and that's that's why Will the Sword is so important. Um, I'm I'm really excited about this project. I'm really excited about what it's going to do. I think that right now as I go back and try and find some sort of trace, even in um, my own Christian walk of how I was able to apply the Bible to parenting, how I was able to apply the Bible to loving my wife, um, there's some helps out there, but that's not the forefront of what we do. Mm-hmm. We kind of consider those as parachurch ministries almost. <laughs> Where you got to go to find somebody who specializes in this, and it's not something that you get as part of your your regular diet, even in in your church, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's kind of left to parachurch ministries to fill in. Hey, we got this ministry over there. We got that ministry over there. We got this ministry over here, <clears throat> and it's great. I don't mind those things, but a lot of times they're not actually coming directly out of the church. It's kind of exterior, which means that there isn't a context of life for them to fit in, right? And that's dangerous because <laughs> that church is the center of all the Christian. Christian life and walk. This is a context of a family that we operate in. And so, I, you know, even for my kids, like I don't want external things training and teaching them that isn't coming from the core center of the family. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure it's us and we can add helps to that. But the central point of their education about God and his world come from their mother and myself. So, and that's the one thing that I think that's important about Will the Sword. Hopefully, what I love about it is pastors <laughs> who are concerned about their church who are making a, uh, who are placing a flag in the ground and saying, this is how we do family. This is how we do marriage. This is how we do economics. This is how we do aesthetics. This is how we do, this is how God's word and his world are connected. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that. And it was right now between the two projects, it's kind of reminded me, I've always think about the way God's world is designed. Um, <clears throat> it repeat, the story repeats constantly. God's world is round. So it has a particular me- uh, method to it that we can see. Uh, death and resurrection, going to sleep, waking up. It's, t- it's in the narrative all the time. And creation is one of those things that we can see kind of repeated again in God's narrative. Um, and I think about, Will the Sword was kind of this form. In, in Genesis, you got forming and filling. God forms the world. <clears throat> he fills the world. Then he breaks it. <laughs> form, filled, breaks it. And then Adam, he formed Adam, filled Adam with the spirit. Then he breaks him and gave him a bride, you know. And I feel like right now we're kind of in that process, again, where God has started with by what standard and he's filling it with wield the sword. And then, like, I'm expecting at some point, if this is how the narrative goes, there's going to be something breaking. And then whatever comes from that will be a, a fruit of from the things that we're doing. And that's just kind of I always see things narrative based like that. And I can the only reason I think like that is because I'm saying, well, God, your word, how's how's your word inform where we're at in the story? So then what do we need to be doing? And so. I feel like God did something with by what standard and then whatever he's doing with will the sword is filling those things that we don't have a place for his form now. Okay. Here's the standard is what we want to work by. Now, how do we fill in what that standard is? Yeah. And that's what will the sword is. I, I have in mind a lot of these, um, 
guys in middle age with families, guys that are pastors and guys that are not pastors, uh, but their their families, their young children, a lot of those who have gone through the Young, Restless, and Reformed um, movement, the New Calvinist movement, uh, you got the Gospel Coalition, you got T4G, all of these things have happened. And there was a strong uh, emphasis on trying to, you know, go and take a city for Christ yeah. and all of this. And then that really has has been canonized. A lot of that movement has been canonized. It's just become like the world's kind of lost its punch, lost its power. I've said before, I loved what these guys were doing, but I wish they would have brought their KJV, you know, just, just to signal that you're not that cool. Like we're not, we're, we have a different definition of cool than the world does. So there's this hard distinction. And I think there's a lot of guys now that are going, what do we do? What do we do when it comes to practical Christianity? Is that effort is that effort gone? Should we kind of go back to where things are merely theoretical? And so I hope that we can kind of put the cookies on the bottom shelf and guys would get done and, and ladies would get done watching a wheel the sword and they would think, I know what to do. Now, I need by God's grace, I need I need to do it, but I know what to do. We had David Murray. Is it David Murray that um, uh, came down here? He was up at Puritan yeah. Reform not too long ago. And I remember as he was talking, it was getting troubling for us because we're thinking boy he was just pointing out that basically this generation like the teenage generation is gone he's like Mm -hmm. basically you know the in some ways the world was first to technology and they used that to disciple this whole this whole generation and he's like you know they're they're gone what we're gonna have to do now is is come in and start to do this so i think what happened what i would want our repentance to be there was a there was a season maybe a decade maybe two where we were teaching it's like well the church can teach me the spiritual things but they can't teach me the physical things, right? The church can teach me the heavenly things, but they can't teach me the earthly things, that fact-value distinction. Well, the church can teach me how to have values up here, but they can't teach me how to facts on the ground. What I need to do is kind of go be trained by the world in these areas. And what was happening is they were getting all the discipleship right here, and we were limiting what we were doing. And so my hope is you'd watch this film on aesthetics, you know, or you watch this, uh, watch this, um, um, episode on manhood and womanhood and say, Oh, okay. Or or sexuality and say, I know what needs to be done here. Uh, an attention back to God's law telling me how to live and I can wake up, um, you know, tomorrow and I can begin to do something in my life that is biblical, not be a mere hearer of the word, but a, but a practitioner. No, that's, and and I, you know, I just want to say now it's it's not going to be, I think we were talking about this earlier, uh, but it's not, we are so, most guys, most people who are wanting to do something for the Lord, they're like, man, show me the storm so I can wield, I can go and throw my life at the storm. Show me the big battle to fight so I can, because we can see decisive change if we can win that battle. Boom. Okay. That's the big battle. But then there's a point where it's like, why don't you just wake up, make your bed, pray, go to work, act like a Christian at work, be honest, go home. Love your wife, do the dishes, <laughs> teach your kids the Bible, you know, and, and just do some of the, the basic things that God has required for you to do. And as you start doing that, there's more that adds there. How, how you treat your neighbor, you know, all those things matter. And it's, I, I'm saying that because I think people can look at Will the and be like, oh, just do that? That's all I'm supposed to do? Just, just these things right here? And I think we've forgotten that God blesses through those type of faithful things. And those things have a domino effect. And it's like, if we can just go back to our first love, the basic things he's told us to do and just start walking those things out, then when we come down to the big storm, we'll actually be ready to deal with that. Or God will say, okay, that's not really a big storm because we've been blowing that thing out just by doing some of these basic things. And, and I think we've lost 
the simplicity of practical, basic obedience, and every day in the in the in the minor, none seemingly none important things. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. We we read stories in the Bible like David. You know, you, right. what did David do? Well, he defeated Goliath. You know, he killed bears. He killed lions. Yeah, but David ruled as a king. But David spent years in preparation right. on the backside of nowhere tending sheep. You know, he was just being faithful day in, day out. Lion come, he'd have to take care of the lion. Bear come, he'd have to take care of the bear. And he didn't start his life as the, the giant slayer. He didn't start his life as the king. God prepared him for what he had in store in those momentous occasions. And I, I think today sometimes we do have a mentality. Man, show me where Goliath is. I'll go get him. Yep. And we go and we stand in front of Goliath and we're scared to death because we, we haven't had these other ordinary means of grace operate in our lives yeah. day by day. And so that thing intimidates us, and we, we try to come off looking like we've really engaged the, the giant when, mm-hmm. in reality, you know, we've just been playing games. The uh, way that, that would apply, say, um, Coppinger does one on aesthetics, and uh, I was not in the room when he was doing it, but I think y'all reported this great line, like, he was beating up on husbands that would be looking all nasty and oh, stuff. Yeah. Like, man, this woman gave her whole life for you, and you'd be looking all <laughs> sloppy like that, you know? And he said, who wants to be boring? You know, put a little, put a few raisins in the oatmeal. And so, but I, I imagine you would, you know, if you watch that, I don't want people coming out of that episode going like, man, I'm going to, I'm gonna put together a masterpiece like Bach. You know, I'm gonna go study. <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna up Bach when it comes to being able to put together a symphony. It's like, no, no, no. I just want you buy your wife some flowers that look good. <laughs> Pick right? up your underwear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You start there. That's real. But on your way home, get your wife some flowers and and put them in there, and you know, have her and start talking about your own home and the place you're living. Can you enhance the beauty of this place just a little bit? Like, hey, it's a little bit, it's a little bit more appealing. It's a little bit more gripping, compelling um, than it was before. Same thing with your sermons, if that's, that's right. what you do, or whatever you do for work. Just make it, make it a little bit better. I think we think those things don't matter, and it's because we've lost the idea. I mean, our education system has fragmented the way that we think about the world. They've separated because there is no Christ in our education, which unifies everything. And so, when we think about things, we think about them separated over here. That's that's aesthetics, this is beauty, that's marriage, that's kids, this is church. And so because Christ hasn't been the center of our education, the whole world is fragmented. We don't see how it comes together. And with Will the Sword, when you start thinking, it was amazing, since we shot the round table, we started talking about education first. And it was amazing that from the central point of talking about education, the subject from vocation, the subject from aesthetics, the subject from manhood and womanhood, and then the subject to uh, will the word in the world were all connected to that. And it was amazing to see that not one of these subjects are separate from each other. Mm-hmm. When you start putting them in the right context and you put Christ in the center of that, you see how all these things matter. Your aesthetic in your education is tying your kids' allegiance to the God that you worship. You know, I love how Ben talks about this. When you're making a cake in the kitchen for Thanksgiving um, throughout your children's lifetime and you're making this food and they're smelling this food, they're growing up, and then when they leave the home, they would hate to want to miss Thanksgiving because their allegiances have been tied that at this time I'm with my family and we got to have these certain foods and we got to do these certain things. we got to hang out this type of way because you've been discipling them to love this particular time and to love it this particular way. And so, you know, you got aesthetics in that. You have, you know, everything is operating. You know, manhood and womanhood, mom's doing this, dad's doing that. You right. have education that's operating that way. And so that their senses, all the kids' senses are developed to love this particular thing. Well, it's not just Thanksgiving. It's God's world that way. 
You know, it's everything. I'm sorry, you go ahead. Yeah, well, it's just, it's such a good point that I just want to underscore it. So you, the, with the Wheel of the Sword project, I hope that that will come out, that your world is connected and yeah. we have not been living that way. So we've not been touching down on all the, all of these things. If, if mom's baking a cake in the kitchen, you know, and the kids are gathered around, what do you have? Well, you have an aesthetic thing going on because she's making a good cake and mm-hmm. she's talking, she's teaching you how to make good cake. And she's giving you some, you know, some bad cake, some, some, uh, been a few days and kind of got something it, just from got, that it, too. got yeah. it from the store. <laughs> And, you know, okay, now we got the palette, so we're developing the palette. But like you said, mm-hmm. just take the five that we just did. So we did one on um, on um, aesthetics, so that's covered. Education. Well, what is mom doing? She's educating the kids. I mean, yeah. you got to have sugar, and you got to have all of these elements, and she's putting them in there. This is what happens when you, when you work it. Manhood, womanhood. Well, mom's in there making the cake. She's nurturing and providing this, this wonderful kind of thing. And how did dad relate to the cake? Well, even if he's not in the room, maybe he's in the room uh, doing the cake, but he's the one who went out and got and, and, and was able to provide. Yeah. Where, where did these come from? Well, my husband provided these for me. Okay. Yeah. And so there's a provision kind of dimension there. Well, how did he provide it? Through vocation. Right. Well, it, well he, did, he did work. And what she's doing right there is work. Teach, teach the women to be workers in the home. Well, here she is. She's engaged in vocation. Dad was engaged in vocation that these things might have been produced. And then Tom did one on the word in the world. Well, as soon as you walk in there and you say, hey, you know, this is bread and you know who the true bread is. It came down from heaven. Come or on do you now. know that, you know, that the Bible is sweeter than honey and drippings from the honeycomb or sweeter than this cake. You see how sweet this cake is. Yeah. You know, that the word of God is even sweeter than that. So your world now has become where you can't do anything. Yeah, you can't do anything anything at all in your life without seeing the connection of your Christian faith to what you're actually engaged in. You know, one of the things that we do, um, we started having our Sabbath dinners and just to echo that, one of the things that we practice is that on the Lord's day and on Sabbath dinner, I don't say no to my children when they ask me for something. So mm-hmm. if they ask me, of course, of course to drive the vehicle. <laughs> no. Um, but when they ask me for something sweet or they ask me for a soda, this is, this is fellowship time. This is absolutely, let's go have it. Or do this and we can do that. But I, I usually try and limit the words no on the Lord's Day and Sabbath dinner. Because what I want to do is I want to tie that the best time in the week is when this happens. When we sit down and talk about the Lord, his work, and we have Sabbath dinner, we go to the Lord's Day on service. It's like, man, those are best times. I want to attach all their emotions through the whole week to this is the best time of the week on the Lord's Day and Sabbath dinner. And so we, I, I take the, the brains off and say, let's just dive in and have fun and enjoy this. And those, I, I want their minds to be thinking, man, what was it? Remember that, that Saturday and that Sunday we did this? And that was, I want them to be tied to that. And so I, don't, I limit them sometimes through the week on purpose because they need to go to bed early. But we, we, tore, we tore it up on, on, on Saturday. We tore it up on Sunday. You know, I want them to always have that in their mind that those are the best times, weren't they? And so that's just simple ways to apply some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to this project. Um, You know, you here, you've captured it here in Florida, and now you fly back, and we can't wait to see the. It's been amazing. uh, You know, put all that in the oven and have some wonderful stuff come out. Something out of it. So we're very much looking forward to that. Thank you for those uh, who have already supported this project, Wield Mm. the Sword. You can go to founders.org and then click on Wield the Sword. You get access there. You can see how much progress we've made. It is a big project. It's not only going to be coming out episodically, we have 15 episodes, but it's also going to be coming out. uh, We're going to try to drop at least a few, somewhere between two and five uh, here in this first uh, segment. And then as God blesses it, we'll be able to raise some more support and have some other people. People, but we have Vody Bakum teed up that he's not dropping in this first segment, but he's teed up. And then uh, Dr. Tom Nettles is teed up to do history. It's and we've got a number of other guys that we're looking to secure for these spots. So 
Thanks again for listening to The Sword and the Trowel. Thanks for your encouragement and prayers as we continue to labor on here at Founders Ministries.